gospel for most of us, because we would much prefer to get vengeance, to be vindicated, than to forgive. And yet this is what the Word of God comes to us today and calls us to reflect upon. Now, those of you who were here last week know that I gave a homily, and I gave a homily all the masses, the same, and live-streamed a homily. Live-streaming the homily causes an interesting effect. Because not only do we have parishioners who watch the live stream, but there are people throughout the whole planet who are watching. I mean, there are people from Africa, Pakistan, all over the world watching the, the bar mass at 10 a.m. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. However, as you know, my homily last week was on an issue that was going to be volatile, as I knew. Well, let me just say this. What I have received in emails and in other, in other matters of communication through the internet of social media was really vile, awful. And not only was it vile and awful, but they are speaking to a Catholic priest. Now luckily I'm a New Yorker, so it's not going to offend me that much. However, the thought that they would even think of speaking to a man of God in this manner is absolutely brave. It blows my mind. It blows my mind completely. And then, not only did we have the fact that I was live-streamed, but some parishioners decided, and even other people out there decided, that they were going to publish my po podcast all over the internet. So now we have a whole new gamut of people listening to me for the first time. And they're not used to my New Yorkese of preaching. So that also opened up a whole gamut. And I never once, in my homily last week, identified or stated any political party. Never, ever, ever. I cannot help that there are political parties that you identify what I was saying with. That's not my concern. I cannot help that. Remember I told you last week that because the church dropped the ball on morality, politics picked it up. And I cannot help that there is a diametrically opposed contradiction in the two political parties. That's not my fault. I am not endorsing any candidate. I am trying to form your consciences as to how you need to vote in faith. Because what does the Word of God tell us today? St. Paul tells us, none of us lives for oneself and no one dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Now let's be honest, we don't. We are not living for the Lord. We are not living for the Lord because our actions outside of this building is contrary to Christian ideas. Contrary to what it means to be a Christian. Love, mercy, forgiveness. 90% of the comments I received through social media were from Catholic people. 89% of those 90% were vile, awful, horrible statements. From Catholics. Now you're telling me that that is the way in which we build the community of God? We build, I doesn't mean they have to agree with what I'm saying. I mean, I'm speaking the truth from the gospel. You deny that, you deny God, not me. But the fact is, my brothers and sisters, 
that we have to live a life that is worthy of the title Christian. And we are not doing what we're supposed to be doing. We are not living up to our end of the bargain. And yet, what does the Lord tell us in the Gospel? God is always forgiving. God is always forgiving. Over and over and over again, He forgives us of our sins. So if He is so willing to forgive us of our sins, how can we withhold forgiveness from someone else? It is incompatible with the Gospel. It is compatible with the Kingdom of God to harbor resentment and hatred. And very often, by our very, uh, very upbringings or our ethnicities, we know that there is the Almighty Grudge. The Irish have it. The Italians have it. Every race has it, I think. Everyone has it. And then some of us who are made up of many multiple, multiple little, uh, uh, multiple uh, ethnicities, we get double whammy. Italian, Irish, German. Think about that. That's me. That's me. And this is what I have to surrender to the Lord. This is what I have to surrender to the Lord so that He might be the Lord of myself as a living person. Because that is what humanity needs to be and is supposed to be. He is to be Lord of my life. He is to, I am to live for Him and Him alone. I am not to live for the accolades of the community. I am not to live for the accolades of those around me. I am not to live to be liked by the human race. I am to live for the Lord. That is where we have a misconnect, my brothers and sisters. And you know, the thing is, I tell you all the time, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. The first reading from Sirach. You know, I was always under the impression, in my stupidity, that the Bible started with the book of Genesis when God created, and it was a historical line up until Jesus. Well, guess what? That's not how the Bible is organized. The Bible is organized into literary uh, style. So you have the histories all put together. You have the wisdom literature all put together. You have the prophets all put together. The book of Sirach, which we hear today, is found in the wisdom literature, which is dead middle of the Old Testament. However, the book of Sirach is the last book written in the Old Testament, with Maccabees. Maccabees and the Old Sirach are the last two books that are written in the Old Testament. And so therefore we see, as we're approaching the coming of the Savior, the approach of Jesus, the understanding which Israel had regarding the covenant. As Sirach says, think of the commandments, hate not your neighbor. Remember the Most High's covenant and overlook faults. Now that should cause us to just smack into a wall because we are always taught under the impression that the Old Testament is a testament of vengeance, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And then Jesus comes along and says, love, 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 and it's a whole different understanding of God. So we almost have this idea that God is God is split personality. Mean and cranky in the Old Testament, loving and kind in the New. No, that is not how God was. That is not how God was. We have to remember that Moses is dealing with a barbarian people that is trying to come to know the one true God. And so Moses has to bring bring the people along slowly. God has to mold his people into what he expects slowly. 
So in, but prior to the covenant, or the law of Leviticus that Moses gave to the people, if you were to steal something from someone, the person could just wipe you out. That's it, you're dead. And that would be seen as acceptable. Moses gives the law an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That is not the law of God. That is the law of Moses. To help the people come to understand that you cannot take a life for stealing bread. You steal bread, you cut off your hand. That's more, that's more manageable. That to us it sounds ridiculous. To us it doesn't even make sense. But when you're dealing with a people of a barbaric people that are being moved along to come to a knowledge of truth, there is a gradual development. Just look at our own lives. Look at our lives as we journey with the Lord. Hopefully, God willing, as I am today, was not the same as I was 15 years ago. Hopefully, I have developed in some way my understanding and my practice of the faith. So the command that Jesus gives to us this morning, the command that the whole scriptures tell us, both old, the Old Testament reading, the letters from Paul, and the Gospel, remind us of our need to image God. And the ultimate image of God for Jesus Christ is forgiveness. Because Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Now this is important for us to understand because forgiveness isn't this Pollyanna thing where, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to forgive all those who transgressed against me. That's not how forgiveness works. On our own, we are incapable of forgiving. We cannot forgive on our own. On our own, we want vengeance. We want to get even. That's the human instinct. So it is only when we are transformed with the help of God can the impossible be done. For man, it is impossible to forgive. It is only with the help and the grace of God can I forgive. And so therefore, if I'm going to forgive, God has to be involved in the whole solution, the whole problem, the whole equation, to come to the solution. So how do I come to the point of forgiving? It's, it's, again, it's not Pollyanna. I don't wake up, jump out of bed and say, today I'm going to forgive so-and-so. That can't be done. That's unrealistic. That's what the devil wants you to think. If you're going to be a follower, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness takes blood, sweat, and tears. Forgiveness, depending on how I have been violated, can take years. And so what I must do is when I go to the Lord in prayer, I must think of this person who needs my forgiveness. I must think of that person. I must say that person's name in the presence of God. And when I think or say that person's name, there is going to be a, a volatile uh, emotion come over me. Mostly of anger and hatred, most likely. And that's okay. In the presence of God. In the presence of God, that's okay. It's not okay to call your neighbor and spit venom against the person that you are, cannot forgive. That's not okay. It's okay in the presence of God. And you might have to do this once, twice. You might have to do this a week, a month, a year. You might have to do this your whole entire life. But there is going to come a point when you say the name, when you say that name in the presence of the Lord and there's going to be nothing. There's that animosity which you have felt in the past is going to be gone. 
you're not ready yet to forgive, there's another step. Once I get to that point, I then must pray for that person. I must pray for that person. And in praying for that person, you need to desire that person to be with God in heaven. What? Yes. You have to pray that that person is with God in heaven. That's the second step. And that might take a while until you get comfortable with that. Then, and only then, when you can pray for that person and desire them to be in heaven with you for all eternity, can you come to the point of forgiveness. So again, forgiveness isn't this Pollyanna thing where you're a Christian, you gotta forgive. It's Christian, it's, uh, forgiveness is something that must be worked on. However, it has to be worked on. We cannot, we can never say, I can never forgive this person. I will never forgive this person. Once we say that, once we speak with such an emphatic statements, we close the door for God to work with us. We can say, it is going to be hard to forgive this person. We, are, we can say, I have to forgive this person, but I can't at this point. But we can never say, I will never forgive that person. I mean, we all know people, we all know people who had a harbored resentment towards people uh, during their whole entire life. And even they would show up at the wake to just prove that that person was dead. Crazy! You hear these things, you hear these stories about the things that happen. I just came to make sure that she was really dead. Thinking that she was going to come to reconcile at the last moment of the wake. No, no, no. Not where we want to do it. And yet, when we do this, when we do this, when we fail to forgive, what happens? We are place ourselves in prison. We place ourselves in prison and are tortured. Because we have this anger, this animosity, this, this vengeance toward this person, which very often might even know that they offended us. And they're living on, they're living their world like everything's happy and wonderful. And then we see this person living their life happy and wonderful, and what does that do? That makes us even angrier. How dare they be so happy? How dare they do, do not, don't they know what they did to me? So we enslave ourselves. Jesus gives us the ticket. Forgiveness is our way out. Forgiveness is our escape. Forgiveness is freedom. And then we have poor Peter. Poor Peter, remember, remember two weeks ago, Peter, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. And then last week, Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now Peter thinks, okay, I'm fine, I finally got it right. I'm going to ask Jesus a question and have the right answer. How many times must I forgive? And Peter gives the perfect number. Seven, in the Old Testament, seven was, was understood as the number of perfection. So he says, Seven times. And Jesus has to say, uh -uh, not seven times, seven times, seven times. Seven times, seventy times. Perfect number times a perfect number. It is, uh, which is, indicates all the time. There's never a time we can say, okay, I forgave enough. Okay, I forgave you seven times, then I'm done. Bye. Eight, eight times, you're out. Strike. Goodbye. No. Thanks be to God, because God forgives us whenever we ask. 
God forgives us when we commit the same sin over and over and over again, if we seek His mercy and forgiveness. God is always ready to welcome us back into the fold. And so if God can be so merciful to me, if God can be so loving to me, how can I in turn not be as merciful and loving as God is to me, to those around me? Not easy. Not easy. Cannot be done without God. But it is something that you and I must strive to work on so that we can be perfected, so that we can be living witnesses to the love of God. I remember, I believe I shared with you at the, the youth conference I went to many years ago, before I was a pastor, and it was the Oklahoma City bombing, and the father of one of the daughters who was killed in it was speaking to the youth. And when you go to a youth conference, the speakers are all rah, rah, yah, yah, they're cheerleaders, they're all happy, happy, peppy, peppy. And this man, I think I told you, was a bore. I mean, he was boring. He had a powerful message, but his delivery, it was like, and I'm looking around, I'm expecting like everyone to be squirming in their seats. I was expecting them to be fidgety or talking amongst themselves. You could not hear a pin drop. Everyone, and when we, and when we were going home and we were reflecting on the trip and, and the, the youth conference, what was the highlight, what was the most important, what stands out? With all the hype that they had with all these other speakers, that father stood out to all those young people because he was able to forgive the bomber who killed his daughter. He was able to forgive him. He was able to visit him in prison to offer that forgiveness. And that was so unbelievable to these young people, these teenagers, that it stuck in them. It was, it was, it was embedded into their, their thoughts, their memory. How could they, and that brought up the question, how could he have done it? I mean, he shared with them how he did it, but he also, how could, so they wanted to know. There was this desire. Within, within us, we know that harboring resentment, failing to forgive, doing what we're not supposed to do, we know that it's not right. We know that there's a better way. But we don't think it's possible. Because we buy into the lie of the devil that tells us you have to, get for, you have to forgive in order to get right with God. You have to forgive the person and then God will take you back. No, no, no. Because the devil knows without God you can't forgive. And so the devil wants us to become discouraged, to become despairing, and to just give up. Well, I can never forgive, so I'm just going to jump away from God. God doesn't want me. God's not interested in me. I can't forgive like he wants me to. God knows that we can't do it without him. So my dear friends, the word of God is a challenging word. The word of God is a challenging word, especially for our modern times and these days of social media where people can speak so flippantly through the privacy of their computer monitor or their telephone and say horrible and hatred, hateful things to other people. You and I need to make sure and check ourselves if we are responding in social media to things we disagree with, how we are disagreeing with the people that we are communicating with. Are we communicating our disagreement in love in mercy, in forgiveness? Are we communicating in anger, in hatred? 
If that's how we're doing it, write it out, get it out off your chest, and delete it before you send it. And then if you feel you have a need to respond, respond again. Write it again with the help of God's grace. You know, I'll close on this point, because I can tell you're done, but I can go on. <laughs> However, there is a method to my madness. You might think I'm just crazy Father Petschi who needs to get with it, but there is a method to my madness of, what, of the homework which I give you. As you know, you wake up every morning, I am a child of God, come Holy Spirit, to place yourself in the presence of God from the very, very moment of consciousness. But in case I wasn't clear, and I know not have been, it's not just getting out of bed and saying that, because if you're going to say that when you jump out of bed, you're going to have to say that throughout the day, because the day is going to become a drudgery. And it's going to be quite easy for us to forget, I am a child of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells within me. So, lest you, lest you forget, and so that I can be clear in my assignment, not just at the day, at the morning, in the morning when you wake up, but now I'm going to up the ante. In the morning, at noon, at six, and before you go to sleep. To remind yourselves that you belong to God that you belong to God as his child, and that God lives because of you. God desires you to live with him forever. And because of that, we want him to be Lord over our life, so that he can mold us and, and enable us to be what he wants us to be, a living, living sign of his presence. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son,